Hello there, and welcome to my new podcast. It's called Listen with Cheryl McKay. I'm excited to be launching this new project and to be continuing the conversations with creative people who work in so many different fields all around British Columbia, and I'll be sending out new episodes every week. Today, my guest is Corey Hardiman, and Corey is an artist. She's a painter living in Prince George, and there's a show of her work on now at the Esthete Gallery in Prince George. I've been looking at the show online, but I sure wish I was there because I imagine it would feel like walking into a, a mysterious dimension of the natural world. Corey paints nature, she paints land, landscapes, water, and sky in a way that draws the viewer in and suggests something beyond what is visible. It was great to have a chance to talk to Corey again. I've talked to her in the past at her studio when she was based in Vancouver. And this time, I contacted her in Prince George, and I talked to her about getting everything ready for this show, Time and Tide. And we talked about the risk in art making and the chance that a work would simply fail. It's never happened. It's scary, though, right? The possibility is always there. And I think that's... That's actually a really important part of the whole enterprise is that it's always a risk. You don't know, it could be a failure. And I think with all art making, the, the possibility of things being a failure is, it's just a necessary part of it. I think if you're not taking that risk, then your heart's not really in it. I think that I know, I think I've always known that. Um, but it's interesting that sort of 20 years into it, uh, it continues to be the case. It's, it's just the way that it is with, with art making. And I think in the beginning, the risk is sometimes, will I have the skill to pull this off? Will I have the skill to make the thing that I want to make? And there's, I think that always remains. You're always bumping up against your own limitations when you're making work. But now it's also, it's less a question of skill and more a question of, you have to constantly interrogate yourself when you're making art. You have to make sure that you're, you're making honest work, that you're making work that challenges you and is also true is true of your experience and true to your vision and true of of yourself of how you live and how you see your own work and that can be really difficult i i think you and i have talked about this in the past that i i tend to divide my practice into making what i think of as rent paintings and growth paintings and the rent paintings are the paintings that i know people will buy, right? And, and I, you need rent paintings if you're gonna make a living as an artist. But growth paintings are really where my, my head and my heart are most of the time. And they're, they're the paintings that are about pushing myself. They're often um, non-representational or semi-representational. Sometimes they have to do with dreams. Often they have to do with pushing colors and pushing forms in directions that are difficult that there's no real test for me as to whether or not they're right that mm. they're not um they're not uh, what's the word i'm looking for they're they're outside of my comfort zone like they're outside they're often they have to do with my imagination um and there's nobody that i can refer to or there's no other painting that i can refer to 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 see whether i'm handling it the right way so Often those paintings tend to be quite large, and often I'm a little bit at sea at various points with them. Hmm. I don't, I don't always know 
what to do and sometimes I have to put them away for a while and think about them or not think about them and come back to them and often I have to wait until I have a dream about them it sounds really flaky and <laughs> I don't have a very woo approach to my work but I because I paint every day I often dream about painting and quite often sort of solutions to problems that I'm having with a painting will present themselves in a dream and then other times I'll have a dream about a painting and I'll wake up and I'll think oh that's a terrible idea <laughs> that would never work <laughs> But often that's how that's how they sort themselves out is that I dream about them. That is so curious. And I, I'm wondering too, you I don't know if you can even put it into words because it's not necessarily something that's explainable with words. It's explainable with, with the visual work that you do. But about your truth or what is truth and how how that gets carried onto the canvas. Yeah, the truth is a the truth is a funny thing. It's there's a sense in the paintings that speak to me and that I try to make that there is something that is realer than real, that it's kind of in the universe, like in the world, and that you have access to by making the work. And so for me, the truth of my work is is a connection with being alive, with with life, and with love, and with the natural world, with um, with the surprising and unpredictable aspects of being alive, understanding, which is obviously limited in many ways, of, um, of the things that fascinate me. And I, I think that really is the, the nexus, the crux of the work is fascination. The things that fascinate me, that I want to know about, that I want to think about, that I want to love, those are the things that make their way into my work. And so when I talk about the truth, I don't necessarily mean that I know everything about something or that I am, have some sort of unique access to what's right about that thing. It's, it's what's true is my, my honest approach to my own curiosity, to my own connection with that thing, to my own thoughts around it and my own feelings around it and my own experience of it. And then do you know when you when you when you've hit that like when you're yeah, looking at a canvas usually. that you go yes here I am yeah usually yeah. and that's always exciting when it happens and it's always surprising because it's <laughs> often it doesn't happen in the way you think it's going to right and um, sometimes it happens when you're just out of moves you just don't know what else to do with a painting and you step away and you go oh I see I've, I've, I'm on to something here it might not be exactly the thing that I was after but it is it's its own thing. And I think about this too a lot, that paintings have their, they have their own lives. And so in a big way, the job of being a painter for me is to continually ask the painting, what is it that you want? What is it that you need from me? Um, how can I make you have your own life? And so, you know, I'll go into a painting obviously with an idea. I often make drawings. I do all of those things. But then the paint, the movement of the paint, um, the movement of the, painter, the relationship with the surface, all of those things change over time. It's a relationship. And so it changes. It's a, it's a living, changing thing. And um, what I try to do is I think of it, I think of paintings as like animals. Like I think you need to have, you know, three legs <laughs> and a lung, <laughs> you know, just enough, just enough to keep you going on your own. <laughs> and as soon as it has that, as soon as it looks like it can hold its own without my help, then I let it go and then I'm done with it. Can you think of a, of a moment uh, in a recent work where you had that, that feeling like, oh, here I'm onto something, whether it was how you were moving or what you were, what you were seeing on the canvas? Yeah, I, had, I, I made a 
questionable choice with this show to paint a very large painting, which I started like two weeks ago. So not a lot of time to figure out a pretty abstract big painting. And I've been working away on it um, pretty steadily. I think I finished it yesterday. But Are for me, Are you sure that you finished it? I think I finished it. I, I think you finished I hope it, so. yeah. <laughs> if, it's, if, if I do something now, it'll probably be a mistake. <laughs> so um, with, with really big paintings, they're really, there's a, almost an endless opportunity to, to lose it, to lose control of the painting and to lose your sense of what it was going to be. And um, it's very tempting to kind of get into little tight spots and areas that you can control and start nitpicking and fiddling around and I certainly did that with this painting it's a terrible habit I know it is and I <laughs> I somehow it comforts me and then I step away and I think oh no I've made some bad choices and I've did that several times with the painting but I I also at this stage in my career I trust myself to be able to get it back right. and so I did I got it back I got it back on track and I I'm really pleased with it, I think. Again, I'll see once I get it out of the studio. But I, for me, when I know that it's working, it's usually when I've been in the studio for six or seven hours. I'm, mm -hmm. I get into a state of flow. I don't think about things. I don't think in words. Um, I think I've had that experience a few times, especially when I was painting in Vancouver more, where I would leave the studio to go to Opus or something, and I'd run into someone on the street that wanted to talk, and I wouldn't have words. I wouldn't be able to speak to them because I'd been in my head painting for so long. And so it becomes about, um, it just becomes about knowing which color to pick up. You just know after a while. You stop questioning it. You stop thinking about it. You just start laying it down. And when that happens, it always goes well. There's never a time when that ha has failed me, you know? Oh. What is What was your idea with, with this painting you're just mentioning here? What was the idea when you went in? This is a big watery piece. A lot of the, a lot of the paintings in the show are, are watery kind of paintings. And that is a, that's a, a kind of image that fascinates me. I, I could paint water type surfaces forever, um, partly because they are so abstract. Partly because when you look at the water, any kind of watery surface, everything depends on your eye. Like if your eye moves slightly, everything changes in front of you. And so in a way you could almost paint anything and have it still be kind of accurate. Um, there's a sense of things being par partly occluded, partly obscured by the surface. There's a sense of reflection and of movement. Um, this, uh, this piece is, is uh, portrait oriented so it's taller than it is wide which mm. is also challenging with a with a landscape painting i generally use a landscape kind of format to paint a landscape type painting but i wanted to i wanted to push it in a different direction and i found that when i started making mistakes i started to think about creating depth um in the wrong way like i was I like to think about the flatness of the surface. I'm really interested in that surface. And so when I started to get lost in that painting, I wanted to create like a, a vanishing point and a sense of perspective, but that's not actually what this painting is about at all. It's almost, um, it's almost working against that more traditional sense of how a landscape painting works. So there's no vanishing point. There's no, there's no perspective. The way that, uh, the way that depth is created is by layering things under other things. And so it's layers of paint rather than pushing some objects further away and bringing them closer up. So it's a slightly floral, slightly uh, sort of 
organic um, big blue painting. And I think I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> was it one of the ones that you sent an image of? No, to me? because no, I, I really only one. finished it last night. <laughs> so I think <gasps> I, have, I don't even have a good picture of it yet because it's so big and my studio light isn't great that I, I really have to like take it out into a different space and get my camera and a tripod out and take a good picture. Oh, I'm so curious to see it now, Corey. Yeah, I'll send I'll send you like a cell phone picture of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do that. I will. You know, you mentioned mystery and and things being hidden, and so many of your paintings, whether they're they're water or landscapes or or the nest studies that you do, so many of them have that feeling of of mystery and that there's something hidden. There's something that we can almost see but not quite. Why why do you think that's an exploration that you like to to do in your work? It's, that's such a great question. I really do think about that a lot. Mystery is really important to me. And part of it is um, the humility of being alive. You, the acknowledging, that, acknowledging that there is a mystery is, is also just like a basic acknowledgement of your humanity, of, of your inability to know everything, of, of your curiosity and your, your wonder, right? And, and those things are the things that keep your attention, that I, when I'm thinking about paintings, if I'm walking the dog or if I'm, uh, you know, out in the woods or whatever, I'm, I'm paying close attention to everything around me, everything that catches, catches my eye, I, I look closely at. And so, you know, I, I think of, I mean, I'm a very secular person, I'm not at all religious, but I have had what I think of as, as secular miracles happen to me, and as I think they happen all around us, all the time, throughout our lives. And I, I remember walking my dog one time in Wells and uh, just walking by this ditch filled with water and all of a sudden the water froze, like it just froze and I saw it happen, like it snapped <gasps> together. And it was, I, I felt so incredibly fortunate to be able to witness that and there, there was no really, there's not a way to talk about that that, that can convey how wonderful it is to see that but there's a way to paint about it right there's a way to try to paint about that feeling and to try to hold that feeling in your body and in your in your mind as you're painting anything as you're painting anything if if you have that if you can hold that sense of wonder you can you can do more with a brush than you could ever do by you know copying photos or and not to cast aspersions on people that use photos or, or any other kind of reference material but I think that the for me the thing that makes a painting sing is is that fascination that wonder that sense of the mystery that sense that there's something there's something at work that's outside of me that I am fortunate enough to be able to access in this way what why are the nests really a part of that the the, the recurring the images are, of the nests I love them. Like, I mean, if I, if there was one thing that I was going to paint for the rest of my life, it would be nests. They're, <laughs> they're so beautiful and they're so different. And you get such a sense of the personalities of the birds that have made them. Like some, even within a single species, some will be very tidy and some will be just completely messy. And um, I think when I started painting nests, it was just after my marriage had broken up and I was all of a sudden confronted with parenting in a very different way than I had ever imagined that I would. And the nest started out as a way to think about love, as a way to think about raising children, that they're, they're purpose-built structures. They're not for living in, they're just for raising young. And there's this almost, I don't know, this, this incredible 
innate knowledge that birds have of how to use the materials that they have at hand. So I have nests that have like bits of ribbon in them and bits of thread, but I also have nests that have parts of cigarette wrappers. And <laughs> um, I have one that has like the, the stuffing of a child's mitten or something in it. I have all of these materials that go into nest building because they work, right? Just because they're around, they're accessible and they work. And they, they do that work. They do that work of making a, a space where you know young are raised and and loved and where life exists right and and so when they come to me people send me nests from all over the place like i have nests from all across the states and all across canada huh. and people they're mail like, you nests there's people mail me nests all the time like sometimes five or ten nests you know that they'll have knocked down an old building on their property or whatever and it'll just be full of nests and so huh. all of these beautiful nests and they're they're all so different from one another. They're all so full of personality and they're all just really beautiful and fascinating. They're great. I'm just picturing you in the studio with surrounded by, by nests. There are so many. I have like 80. No. <laughs> there are so many <laughs> I don't think I've painted all of them, but probably getting close. I'm probably getting close to all of them. But then somebody just sent me like five more last week. So No. <laughs> Now I'm just I'm looking at some of the images. You sent me three beautiful images, and the first one that opens up here is, and it has that that sense of mystery and wonder. It's called mm -hmm. Night River, and it's just this. It looks like a starry sky and a river and all these greens and blues and and blacks, and it just it's something I feel like I could just fall into that place. I'm so glad you like that one. I love that one. That's um my friend Jill and I. I spent a lot of last year, you know, walking by the Zinachaco and looking at the river and putting our feet in the river and talking mm. about how how water has shaped us as people, how we think about water, how we, the ways we spend our time on and around the water. I grew up on the ocean and she grew up here and uh, we've both, you know, spent probably as much time in water as we have on land. and. <laughs> Uh, you know, just watching all the little fish and watching all the little insects and thinking about all the lives that are around you all the time, you know, and and how at night they're still there. They have no sense of you. They have no no sense that you exist at all. They're just going about their their little lives in in these shallow places. And I I love the I love there's like a feeling that you get when you see starlight on a river or mm. just a river at night it's it's like a living entity on its own and then it's full of all these other lives and um i'm just yeah again fascinated by the thought of it it's so dreamlike and so so kind of prehistoric and so completely outside of my own life and my own experience and my own way of of seeing or being in the world and so i Again, it's it's that mystery. It's compelling and it's romantic and it's just really beautiful to me. Corey, did you always know that you were going to be painting? No, I did always want to. It's what I. It was like my deepest, my deepest desire. I think was to paint, mm. but I was also terrified to. I was really afraid to. Um, I was afraid of how personal it was. I was afraid of, of criticism. I talk now quite a bit um, to young artists and so on about their, you know, their goals and their careers. And quite recently, uh, a young person asked me, what do you do about really harsh criticism? And I said, who's criticizing you harshly? Like, nobody should be doing that. <laughs> so 
it's not a good thing to do. But it was a very real fear for me. Um, And I was afraid that I maybe wouldn't have the skill and I was afraid of all kinds of things. And also it wasn't a career path that my parents were supportive of. Um, So I I sort of drew and painted always. I I drew and painted lots always, but I was kind of secretive about it for quite a Mm. long time. And I married someone that had gone to art school and sort of insisted on my taking up painting. And I, like taking up oil painting, I'd already been painting, but oil painting was intimidating to me. And so I did, uh, just kind of out of like, fine, (laughs) I'll try, we'll see. And I loved it. I loved it immediately. And I just never stopped. I just kept painting. And then after a while, it didn't make sense to, to not, I mean, we were living out in the bush, we were living in a yurt, and I started applying for shows like on my flip phone <laughs> and, oh. and getting them and showing work um, in other provinces. And I, it just, it all made sense. As soon as it started happening, it all made sense to me. It made sense to me that this is the thing that I, it's the thing I care about most. It's the thing that saved my life when I was, you know, at various points when I haven't liked myself very much or when life has been really difficult. It's, it's the thing I like most about myself. It's a gift. Um, It's something I, I don't know why I'm good at it. I don't know why this is the thing that I know how to do, but I do. I think about it all the time. And I, I can't now imagine doing anything else. It's my favorite thing to do. I'm so lucky that I get to, I mean, I get burnt out, I get tired. And some days I, I would rather take a nap than go into the studio. And some days I do, you know, when I don't have a show going up, but I, I love it. I love it so much. And, you know, I can take a week and go away. But by day four, all I want to do is get back in my studio. It's huh. the way that I it's the way that I love my life. It's the way I love the world. So it's the only thing I want to do. Interesting how it was the the oils that made yeah. that. Yeah, there's awesome. something about oils. that's so like texturally, it's wonderful. It smells great. I know people always say they don't like the smell of oil paint. I don't know what's wrong with them. It's the best. <laughs> it smells so good. And <laughs> it's it's like the depth of color that you can get and the, I don't know, all the things that it will do. It's like learning a language. It reacts in different ways with other colors. Like it's just such a, a endlessly fascinating, beautiful medium. I've been following you, of course, online. And I noticed that one of the other things you've been doing recently is you've studied to be a death duel. You've studied. Yeah, I did. I mean, I know that issues around death and dying have been really pertinent to you because of personal experiences. But I, mm-hmm. what made you decide to, to take that a step further, Corey? Well, I knew that I'd wanted to for quite some time, like kind of since I found out that that existed. And I know you've been talking to lots of death doulas, which yeah. is pretty great. Um, and I think it took me a while to get around to doing it, partly because people I loved kept dying and I didn't want to do it while I was grieving. Um, mm. I didn't want to I didn't know if I would be ready while I was grieving, but I felt like I was in a place where I was, I was pretty solidly on my feet. And I think that, I mean, I think about death a lot, partly because people I love have died a lot. And also because it's just part of life and, um, and because it's a a subject I sometimes consider in my other work. And I think that, um, one of the things that happened to me was that when my, when my partner died, seven years ago, I I realized that because I had been through a few deaths, that it's a skill that you can get good at, that you can, you can learn to be, 
present with people when they're dying and that if you can do that you really should like when I was thinking about taking the course I talked to a friend of mine who's a death doula and she said you know the the thing about being a death doula is that it's everybody's job everybody should mm -hmm. be a death doula a everybody has to learn to confront this stuff sooner or later and I really think that so for me I don't I don't do a, a huge amount of you know vigil and stuff like that but I I do think that it's important community work um, it's it is again it's tied to love it's tied to art it's tied to all kinds of things it's also tied to one of the to me I, and to most of us I hope that one of the major issues in our time which is climate grief climate mm. change is it's wreaking havoc on the planet we're losing thousands and thousands of species and um, every young person I know every thinking caring person I know is overcome with climate grief at various times in the, you know their lives and so I've done um, some workshops with artists about climate grief and how how we're responding to our experiences with our work um, I have done some writing about it I think about it a lot it certainly enters into my painting work and I think um, when you have the skills to be with death you have the skills to be with all sorts of parts of life all mm -hmm. the parts of life that are difficult it's it's not just for dying it's for birth and it's for love and it's for fear and for child raising and for all of the things that that are challenging in life we we have to confront difficult things all the time and learn to to hold them gently, you know, to not panic and to not run from them, but to to be present with them. And, and that's, and it's been yeah. a, a great teacher for me. It's been a great, um, a, a great kind of perspective giver. And it has, it certainly had an influence on my painting as well. And that ability, yeah, that ability to be present with another person, with, with their pain, with their fear, with all of that. And then just to be that open to to that I'm, I'm thinking how that really does translate back and forth with the art that you create yeah 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 it definitely does there's a there's a real to and fro and again those things they're they're part of being fully human i think you know just just having love for the world means being open to loss having love for other people means being open to the fact that people die so that you will die that I will die that you know I think um, I don't think of my work very much in terms of like a legacy I don't really worry about what's going to happen to my paintings after I die partly because they may be on fire right <laughs> but I um, <laughs> I and I don't care honestly I what I care about is painting I don't really care that much about paintings like once they're done once they're gone I don't I don't really think about them very much. No. Like I, I love them. I love that I got to make them, but making them is what's interesting me to, like to me. That's that's the part of painting that I love. It's the act of painting. And it's the same with almost every part of life that matters to me. Like you know, being present with someone who is dying is is a an awful privilege, but it is it is a privilege and it's a beautiful thing to be able to do. And if you can if you can pay attention and learn to witness difficult things then the world is open to you in ways that it isn't otherwise you get mm. to see the you know the water freezing all of a sudden you get to see those those moments of recognition and relief and delight and all of the things that can come to you if you just hold the space open you know mm.
I'm just looking here at another one of the, the images that you sent, and this one is called Spring. And the light in here, Corey, is so beautiful. The way this sunlight looks like it's filtering through the leaves and, and just touching a few of them. It's The light is just beautiful. That's got to be, I don't know, getting that right is something, isn't it? It is something, and that one I think I painted, that's one, of, I think that's the oldest one in this show. I painted it last spring, early last spring, when uh, it was still quite cold and I was really yearning for spring. And, uh, you know, when you start to see the first little puddles of water around the bases of the tree and you think like, oh, this, it's, it's happening. It's going to come. <laughs> it's actually going to happen. And uh, that painting was just a, it was a response to that. So it's, again, quite an abstract painting. It's not made from you know I, it's not a plein air painting I wasn't looking at anything while I made it it was just kind of what felt right and what I had what I had in my head when I came in from from thinking about spring right and so I worked away on it I think it probably took me a week or two to, to make that painting it's it's not huge but it's fairly large and it's one of those ones where you get into that that flow state and you start to just think about if this color is here then this color goes here and if, and and then you get it it just happens huh. the painting just happens it puts itself together i feel like i can just smell being there too in that yeah painting. i just that that smell that starts to come out of the ground and yeah yeah, yeah i yeah. love it i love that painting and the other one right next to it is this riot of color it's just it's this bananas and it's huge boom. it's five <laughs> feet by seven feet that painting Whoa. it's enormous and it was made, so a couple of years ago, I was fortunate enough to be mentored by Dwayne Kaiser, who is a fantastic painter in the States. Um, and he's become a, a good friend and he, um, he was really sort of pushing me to work a little bit more abstract and, and to work really big to see what would happen. And so I stretched this huge canvas and I started working on it. and man, I got so lost on that painting. I did not know what <laughs> I was doing. I was so intimidated by it. It was so overwhelming. And it went through so many different iterations. It just changed and changed and changed. And I mean, I was like standing on a ladder for a good part of it. It was, it's huge. Like it's a giant <laughs> painting. And there's probably, there's so much paint on it. Like <laughs> it has so much paint. And it's I, like an explosion of blossoms is, or yeah. something, right? And yeah. I worked on it for probably three months straight. And I... That is a painting where I just ran out of moves eventually. I was like, I, <laughs> I don't know what else to do. And all of a sudden, I so my studio is in my garage in the backyard. And I opened up the bay door and I went and stood in the middle of the yard and looked at it from, you know, a good distance away. And I thought, oh, it's completely different from what I thought it was because I've been working so close all that time. You Whoa. know, you step away, but you don't step yeah, far yeah. enough you away. Get that far. And wow. Yeah. It suddenly <laughs> just came to life. And now I... I really, it took me probably eight or 10 months to decide that I love that painting, but now I love it. Oh, because it is quite different it than is anything different. of yours I've seen. It's yeah. so red and pink and different. And yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's, it is like an explosion. It's very, it's very full of itself. <laughs> Origin myth, you've given yeah. the name. <laughs> yeah, but you know what it reminds me of? It's, it's like a distant, distant childhood memory. It's like... Um, I had this blanket when I was a little kid that I called a butterfly's blanket. And I remember the, the time when I was probably three or four years old when I suddenly realized that the shapes that were on the blanket were not butterflies at all, but like dogs. <laughs> but it was the <laughs> colors of a butterfly, right? And right. so in my head, this blanket was just like a blanket made out of butterflies. And I didn't have 
you know, I didn't have language around the weird cartoonish thing that it actually was. And so when I finished that painting, that's what I thought of. I thought, oh, it's like the butterfly's blanket. Like it's, it's sort of everything and nothing all at once. You know what I mean? It's the colors of, of, of everything that I'm, I don't know, thinking about. It was definitely the summer. Like it was a very summer like painting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's when I, Oh, I guess it was before I started keeping bees, but I, there's definitely lots of bees in the yard and I was looking at them and thinking about how they look at the world. But again, a, a huge part of it is just getting into that big, that flow state and letting things happen, just letting the painting decide what it wants to do. I love your bees. You're, 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 you're delightful bees. I love When did bees. you start keeping them? Last year. Yeah. I've been wanting to for years and years. And when I lived in Vancouver, I took I went to B school with Hive for Humanity on, uh, down on Hastings. Hastings and uh, so I've, I've done a little bit of volunteering with bees and spent some time with other people's bees. But this is the first year I've had my own bees. And, uh, and they're delightful. I didn't get any honey out, though, because we went to Nova Scotia and they <laughs> sealed themselves into their hive with propolis <laughs> and I couldn't get it open. Smart so bees. I have some work to do in the spring. <laughs> they seem to be fine. Like I can hear them in there. They all seem like they're doing okay, and uh, and they're they're just thrilling to have around, right? They're just so beautiful, mm. and they're everywhere. They come into the studio, and that was one of the things I loved about that painting too. Is that I was taking it out for some reason, and bees were guarding it. Like they were not happy that I was moving it, <laughs> and it was so flattering. I felt like that was the best possible crit. <laughs> Well, Corey, all the best with this show. And I can't tell you how happy I am to have a chance to talk to you again. I'm so happy to talk to you, too. And I know that this that we don't get to see each other on the actual interview, but I'm so glad I get to see you in I know. Time. What a treat. It's really <laughs> yeah. great. I'll see you in Prince George one of these days. Yeah, I hope so. My conversation with artist Corey Hardiman in Prince George. And her show is on right now. It's called Time and Tide. And it's on now at the Esthete Gallery in Prince George. Thanks so much for downloading. Thanks so much for downloading my Listen with Cheryl McKay podcast. Talk to you again soon. Bye now. <laughs>